0: For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. Ay me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused.
1: O my dear father, Restoration hang thy medicine on my lips And let this kiss repair those violent harms That my two sisters have in thy reverence made
0: I am a king that find thee and I know Tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball The sword, the mace, the crown imperial The throne he sits on nor the pomp That beats on the high shore of the world This is the mighty history of the British Empire A people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's Royal Education, with host, Dennis Leap.
1: Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Unfortunately, I don't have any comments today. Now, in some ways, I'm lying to you, because I actually did have a comment today, and then I misplaced it on my desk. (laughs) and So so, uh, it was a really, really good comment, and and actually, um, it came through SoundCloud, and so I know a lot of people are listening to you know, Shakespeare's Royal Education through SoundCloud, and essentially what this person did, and, and whoever you are, I know you're listening today, because you told me you listen all the time. In fact, you love it so much you want to come on the radio with me. And so, so whoever you are, just make sure you send that comment again. But uh, but, but anyway, it, it is really exciting to know. How excited people are about royal education, uh, Shakespeare's royal education, and uh, I, I know that uh, certainly you know Dan Arnfeld works very hard for me here as the producer, and he's he's really very good at what he does. He can get out little nicks and nannies and mistakes that I make, and it just makes it a, such a better opportunity for everybody out there. So so uh, anyway, just keep those comments coming. And uh I do want to do some some kind of new things now and uh you'll see as we get into today's program what I'm what I'm talking about. Now in our last program I did finish one of William Shakespeare's most intense plays featuring the failures of a king and his family. And of course all of you know I'm talking about Shakespeare's masterpiece, King Lear. And uh that was a dynamic play. It it uh it is a dynamic play and it really does speak to a lot of what is happening even in the United States and i think the same you're going to find with this play as well and uh i thought shakespeare's uh you know king lear was a challenge but when i started to really dig into this to this play now i was not feeling well in fact i caught like a flu sit uh, situation over the weekend and and i thought oh how am I going to understand this and be sick at the same time? But, uh, uh, essentially though, I think, I think this is a going to be a really interesting play and it really does have have a lot to say to Americans today as well. So essentially what I want to do today is I want to begin discussing the background of the new play I want to discuss. And, uh, I think it is, again, it's it's a new play. It's really a little different than, than uh, what I've been used to with Shakespeare. Uh, it has quite an unusual king in the play, which makes for an unusual play. But also, to my thinking, it will make for an unusual and interesting look into this English king's history, which, by the way, also has a deep root in American history into British legend. Also, it has a touch of interest in the European Crusades into Jerusalem and the Middle East. And so, so to me, I just thought, well, this probably has a lot more to say about what's happening in, in the world anyway. I mean, I think everybody is still very concerned of what's happening in Jerusalem uh, you know, what's happening with the Arab peoples, and, uh, you know, this play is going to open some of that up for us as well. And, uh, uh, you know, what what has gone on uh, with Jerusalem and the Middle East? And, of course, uh, uh, we do know that the the uh, Holy Roman Empire is rising again in Europe. Mr. Gerald Fleury has been very clear about that, very honest about that, has really Touched touched on that, and uh, you know here it's it's almost like uh, you know Shakespeare was just in, into everything, and uh, uh, we can still take advantage of all that today. Now the play I'm referring to is titled simply King John, but it is better known as the Life and Death of King John, and so so uh, the the thing is is he, he did become king. Uh, he is part of the Plantagenets, and uh, of course, uh, over the years that I, what I've taught uh, Shakespeare's English kings in in uh, college here is we've covered a lot of the plays with the Plantagenets. They are the beginning of actually the royalty today. They, I mean, they're they're like the foundation of it, and so so it it to me it is it is really kind of interesting now to go back through some of this. But again, the plan referring to is simply titled King John, but it is better known as The Life and Death of King John. And I'm going to want all of you out there listening to make sure you get one of the books, and we'll discuss this at the end of the program. And I did check on ABE Books today, abebooks.com, and I found more than one copy of uh, The Life and Death of King John. Uh, these are like uh, super good copies, some of them are only two or three dollars, so you don't have to invest a lot of money in this in this book. If you go to AbeBooks.com, but uh, uh, in in William Shakespeare's historical play King John, uh, it is believed that he wrote it around sometime in the 1590s, and uh, it did not appear in a publication until the first folio was released in 1623. And what's interesting, he's actually. Going back to the 13th century, and he's bringing out interesting information that happened in the 13th century. So so one of the things we have to really understand about Shakespeare is that he really was very sensitive to the throne of England and how the throne was functioning. And uh, you know, of course, we know that that uh, he was really good friends with Elizabeth. We also know he was re- Elizabeth the first. We also know he was a, really close with with uh, King James, and uh, you know the first. And even his play Macbeth that he wrote, he wrote it for King James because it's his country. It's his. It was his uh, cousins <laughs> involved it with Macbeth and uh who knows maybe someday we'll even be able to talk about Macbeth and uh it it is an unusual play as well and of course uh, we shy away from it here at the college because it's got the beginning with the witches and and we're definitely not into witchcraft and things like that but there's still a lot of good in that play that if you skip over a few things which you don't have to really focus on so um the, the, the thing that, that I, I want to stress here at the, be, at the very beginning of this play is, like Shakespeare's other historical plays, King John is rooted in actual factual events. I mean, it's, it's not made up. It, it's, there's, a, there's factual events in the background. And uh, now, that doesn't, that doesn't diminish the fact that he's going to take some liberty for creative expression. And so when you see the cast of characters as we go through this, I mean, a lot of them are, you know, they're real people that were really alive. Some of them are made up, made up characters. And so, but, but even some of those made up characters are probably brilliantly fashioned by his writing. And it's like Falstaff. I don't know how many of you know about Falstaff, but he's one of the most creative characters he created. I mean, it, 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 he's based on a true figure, but in the plays, he's just a totally comedic part of the play, and so we're going to have some of that in this play as well, and so so uh, uh, it, it 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 is it is kind of interesting, and uh, again, one of the things we have to just discuss right at the beginning is King John uh, did rule England from eleven ninety nine to twelve sixteen. And so so he he's an actual ruler, he was actual king. And uh the thing is, John was the son of Eleanor of Aquitaine and Henry the Second. And actually he fathered one of the kings, he fathered Henry the Third of England. And so so these are all very famous plantagenets. And of course, these are the background that led to all the Edwards coming online. You know, Edward the First, Edward the II, Second, Edward the Third. And then this led up to Henry V, this led up to, you know, to more, you know, the, then you get into Elizabeth, you get into the Tudors, then you get into Henry VIII. And so this is all the, the, like the, the, the great grandparents of these, you know, future Kings. And so, so we're dealing here with famous, famous Plantagenets. And of course, uh, if you go to Westminster Abbey, I think that's where they're buried. Is you can even see the effigy of Eleanor of Aquitaine and Henry II. They're buried right there together. If if I have that 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 correct now, they I, I could have that mistake there. They could be at Windsor, and so uh, uh, I'll I'll have to go back and really look look that over again. But again, Eleanor of Aquitaine, she was considered one of the most beautiful. Of queens, and of course Henry the Second was was really a uh, supposedly an excellent king, and uh, um, you know Henry the Third. We're not going to talk much about him. I haven't. It's not really a part of the play at this point. So again, they were the famous Plantagenets. Now, who was King John? And the the the, the, the it's interesting. If you, if you go in and you start online and you look for King John, what's going to pop up all the time is Magna Carta. And again, I think there are a lot of Americans that don't understand the Magna Carta and how important it was for America even to know about the Magna Carta. And so, so the, the point is, if we ask the question, who was King John? and uh, the the thing is it's going to come up in our in our faces well we got to talk about the magna carta now king john is now remembered as one of england's worst and most unpopular kings <laughs> <laughs> he was the worst and most unpopular but who was he and this is this i think this is a, this, this is a really good question here you know who was he was he really as bad as tradition says and was his weakness as a king alone to blame for the revolt that led to the magna carta and so so a lot of people and and still i started reading this you know i thought well the magna carta was just like uh, uh kind of like a beginning baby constitution <laughs> but it wasn't it, it was the result of a revolt against king john and essentially the magna carta pushed him to actually be lawful and and so so there's a lot here i think to unpack and to really understand now john was born on december 24th 1166 and again he was the son of king henry ii and his wife eleanor of aquitaine but it was not apparent that he would live to become king and the the the, this this is why they say that and i think it's it's important to to listen through it. it Is is he had three older brothers, and so he's like the baby. So he had a older brother Henry. He had another brother Joffrey, and of course then he had another brother Richard. And of course it's Richard the Lionheart. Is that that's his brother? That's his older brother. And all these three survived to adulthood, and who were before him in the line of succession. By the time John was born, his father, Henry II, had divided his kingdom up between the three older brothers and had little left to give to John. And now now think about back to, we go back to King Lear, and he's dividing up the kingdom to give to his daughters. And of course, we know uh, that, that he really wanted that, the, the best part of England to go to his younger daughter, Cordelia, and she wouldn't play his game. You know, she said, "Look, I don't need to tell you I love you. I knew I grew up loving you. I'm your daughter. I'm supposed to love you," and so, so you can see there's some weaknesses in the way the kings dealt with their their children, you know. And so, so but he said he gave all this to his three, three other brothers, the older brothers, and there was not much left to give to John. And again, this this is kind of funny but it's kind of not funny. I mean, here I am. I, I am, uh, in terms of children in my family, uh, you know, there were, there were seven of us. There were, you know, four boys and three girls. Uh, I am the third, third boy. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm glad my parents weren't king and queen cause they didn't give me anything anyway. So, uh, uh, but they didn't have anything to give to John. So his first original nickname was John Lackland. <laughs> so he lacked land. You know, the other brothers got it all. So so uh, th- th- this is uh, this is actually, what I'm reading to you is written by the Australian uh, uh, Magna Carta Society. So this is for the, the Aussies, you know, the, the surfboarders. They're writing this history about the Magna Carta and and uh, the uh, King John. And so, so they know a lot about King John. Uh, th- they go on to write, it says, Many families quarreled, but in 12th century England, when the royal family quarreled, it could have disastrous consequences. <laughs> in 1173, when John was not yet seven years old, his father tried to provide, him for, provide for him by granting him three castles that belonged to the oldest of the four princes, Henry, the young king. This caused young Henry, Richard, uh, and Joffrey to declare war on their father with the support of the king of France. And so, so one of the other things is, if, if, uh, you know, if we go back to, to uh, some of the things that we cover in the King's class, um, you know, France and England are intimately tied together. I mean, the, 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 the king of England and the king of France you know, have the same grandfathers. <laughs> you know, they're French and they're English, and it, it is interesting. But but these guys declared war on their father, with the support of the King of France. Of course, the King of France is going to do that because he want to get rid of England anyway, and so they're going to join together. And it's and so, but but this is the the problem is they were related to both the King of France and both the end of the King of England, and uh, you know, uh, we know today that the, the French are Reubenites, we know that in Britain, you know, they're, they're another one of the tribes of Israel. And, of course, in the United States, we're Manasseh, you know, and uh, you have, you know, Britain is Ephraim, and then you have France is Reuben. And if you go back in history long enough, you can see that Reuben was not in favor <laughs> of Ephraim and Manasseh. And they turned on them, and of course, Mr. Armstrong, years ago, said, you know, France is going to turn us again. You know, it's, it's just a part of history. And so, so essentially, what, what happened then after, you know, Lackland <laughs> didn't get much, there was this, and, and the king of France got involved. The result was a devastating civil war that lasted 18 months in which many towns were destroyed and people were killed and so so one of the things i think that that uh some people are really beginning to understand you know in the united states right now is that we really are on the verge of civil war I mean it really is happening and it's going to happen and the the the, the thing is you know there's there, there it's it's interesting we have all these um, you know political things going on, but then you have some of the, the 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 news people are you know offering their own debates. You know there's there's the party debates. Well now the the uh, the news media are getting in and they're having their own debates, and of course uh, you know some of them are just I don't know not even worth listening to. You know the the uh, Fox News you know got Governor Newsom on with Governor DeSantis, and you know uh, they thought that was really cool. And, uh, you know, I think it just revealed even more it is in both of them. Um, and then last night we, we saw Hannity had President Trump on. And actually, I, I was really kind of impressed with that because Hannity kept saying, now, look, everybody out there in the news media is saying that as soon as you're made president again, you're going to go after all of your enemies and you're going to do to them what they did to you. He did, He didn't agree with that he said i'm not going to do that you know but that's the big what that's the big news on the street everybody's terrified right now this is what he's going to do he's going to go after all of us well they're just feel that way because they're guilty <laughs> they're guilty of what they've done to him and so so uh, anyway <clears throat> these guys declared war on their father it was this devastating civil war and if we're not careful, America is heading for a devastating civil war. It says, uh, it goes on here, it says, King Henry II eventually defeated his sons and pardoned them. But this was not the end of the quarrels. In 1183, young Henry declared war on Henry II a second time, although his revolt was put to an end, to an end when young Henry became sick and died. Three days later, Geoffrey died in a tournament, which meant that only two of Henry II's legitimate sons, Richard and John, were still alive. John was Henry's favorite, since he was the only one who had stayed loyal to him. And so, so John did have some, some loyalty. But it goes on to say, in 1188, war broke out again when Richard, backed by the king of France, tried to take the throne from his father. During the war, Henry II's health deteriorated. Although John initially stayed loyal to him, towards the end of the war, he turned to Richard's side. According to some sources, towards the end of the war, Henry II received a list of barons that had turned to the rebel side. John's name was at the top of the list. Henry died in grief shortly afterwards. So with Henry dead, John's oldest brother, Richard, became king. This is Richard the Lionheart. And he says, Richard I, known as the Lionheart, is one of the most famous monarchs of medieval England, and was often regarded as the ideal crusader king. And of course, he is the one that defeated Saladin in the Middle East. And so so he's very famous for that. But he wasn't all that interested in ruling England. In fact, he spent most of his 10-year reign Either on crusade or at war in France, and only visited England twice in the time he reigned as king, okay, there's something prob- there's a problem there. Where was the parents and where were they controlling the sons? That is family breakdown, and what you're seeing here is family breakdown. What we saw in the in the, the life of King Lear, we saw family breakdown, and it says he, he did not manage those daughters. And the daughters that did love him, he didn't manage them well either. He didn't, you know, face up to it and say, well, I know you love me, kind of thing. And so so that this is so pervasive in our world today, everybody out there, that, that those of you that do have families is, uh, I even saw something on the news last night, which was really interesting, that talked about that, True parents discipline their children. <laughs> and you don't let your children rule you. You rule your children. And and uh, you've got some of these, uh, I, I think, famous people on Fox News that are beginning to realize, you know what? I need to do more with my children. I need to spend more time with them. And then a couple of the ladies said, yeah, we also need to spank them. And you know, and guess what they were saying? And, and guess who needs to do it? The dads. You know, the dads need to get involved in this. And so, so I mean, that's music to my ears, you know. And, uh, you know, I I was able to raise, you know, four daughters, and I did spank them. But I also loved them. I also took them out, did things with them. You know, their mother would take them to Sears to buy clothes. I would take them to Gap. So who was the hero? <laughs> you know, I say, okay, what do you want to eat? Uh, and where do you want to go shopping? You know, so, uh, uh, but that's, that's what dads need to do. They need to be there to discipline, but they need there to be to comfort them and talk to them and uh, make them feel good about themselves. You know, make them feel beautiful about themselves. Buy them some nice clothing. But this, this little uh, bit of history goes on. With Henry dead, John's older brother, Richard, became king. King Richard, known as the Lionheart, is one of the most famous monarchs of medieval England. But he spent most of his 10-year reign outside of England. But he was warring in France, and he was, uh, you know, fighting the, uh, the Arabs for Jerusalem. So, however, his adventures were expensive and put a big strain on the people of England. Not only did he have to raise funds for his wars, but on the way back from crusade in 1192 and 1193, he was captured and then ransomed by the Holy Roman Emperor, Henry VI, who demanded an enormous ransom of 150,000 marks. So, so can you believe this? I mean, here the, the Holy Roman Empire is involved, you know, with the King of England you know and and uh and here uh you know in terms of, of of prophecy and and uh understanding bible prophecy and it's current today is the holy roman empire is coming back and what's it going to do to america and britain they've been arch enemies for years and so so uh everybody out there that's that uh, listens to trumpet daily and hopefully you're listening to trumpet daily hopefully you're listening uh to also the you know the, the key of david is history is repeating itself and to me that makes this this uh play kind of just interesting right now but you know it's it's uh it's something i've been wanting to do for months and then i finally said well now it's time we finished with king lear now it says the money was raised and the king was freed. Richard died 5 years later after receiving a crossbow bolt to his shoulder while fighting in France. And so so you know how how many times has this happened you know over the years where you know right towards the end the 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 best leader of a nation is you know caught in a war and killed. You know that happens. And and again uh you know, God does allow those things to well wake people up. As the last of Henry's uh, Henry II's sons, John became king of England soon after Richard's death, and at a very bad time. Richard had left the treasury drained. The war was continuing in France. King John was compelled to demand more money from his subjects and fund his war in France. Fours in France. It had been difficult for any king to achieve, but his bad personal reputation did not help. And so if you look at the legend, you know, of King John and you look at the legend of Robin Hood and you look at the legend of the you know the, the king of or the the sheriff of Nottingham John did have some real financial issues. And so so uh, the people were were suffering at that time. And so so but you can't take money from your subjects. <laughs> you know, to pay for your wars. And, uh, you know, and, and of course, uh, I think the Sheriff of Nottingham had to have been involved with the king, you know, in, in trying to get the money from the people. And, uh, uh, but it, it's, to me, it's interesting. And again, for all your parents out there, I know there are several of you that ca- talk to me quite a bit about, you know, getting, uh, you know, some books ready for, for some young readers, and I think we're going to really work hard to to uh, get some young reading books about about the Sheriff of Nottingham and about you know Robin Hood and and Mary uh, Maid Marian and and get some of our younger people interested not only in Shakespeare but also in some of these legends that uh, are very interesting and fascinating for them. So it says, uh, continue here, it says, through his arbitrary confiscations and judgments. And so so there is where he really got into trouble. He said, okay, I need that, I'm taking it. I need that, I'm taking it. John earned a reputation for cruelty. Moreover, he also earned a reputation for being a bad military commander. By 1204, five years after he became king, he lost most of his possessions in France. He spent the next ga- decade raising funds for another invasion, but it failed badly in 1214. His cruelty and failures made him unpopular and set the scene for the Magna Carta. And so, so it was after, you know, the death of his brother. It's after, uh, you know, things in England e- economically got really bad. Um, the fact that he was still fighting in France you know, this all led to just one bad problem after another. And uh, again, um, he was really taxing the people and taking from the people. And he spent 10 years trying to raise money for another invasion. And of course, his cruelty was so bad, as it says here, that set the scene for the Magna Carta. So I want to just talk a little bit about the Magna Carta now. And again, to get ready for the to get ready to start reading the play, um, it, it it is in kind of it kind of is interesting here. Uh, here's here's the thing: is the Magna Carta was brought into life at in the year 1215. The opening preamble it it says the Magna Carta Charter of English Liberties granted by King John on June 15, 1215, under the threat of civil war and reissued with alterations in 1216. 1217, and 1225. So notice it says, I think it's interesting, it says Magna Carta, the charter of English liberties granted by King John. And the point is, what's really true is, it's the liberties granted by England to King John. (laughs) It's what they're going to allow him to do. And so, so that's where the Magna Carta is really it's it's really uh really quite interesting by declaring the sovereign to be subject to the rule of law and so this is what's what's happening they declared the sovereign had to be subject to the rule of law and documenting the liberties held by free men the magna carta provided the foundation for the individual rights in anglo-america and and in, in anglo-american uh, jurisprudence. So, so the Magna Carta is like a, even a founding document of law in America, and the reason is, is well, America was started by English. <laughs> you know, it's it all it all makes sense. It says the origin of the Magna Carta. It says with his conquest of England in 1066, William the secured for himself and his immediate successors a position of unprecedented power. So now we're we're back to William William the First. a it's a new set of history. He was able to dominate not only the country but the barons who helped him win it, and then and the ecclesiastics who served in the English Church. He forced Pope Alexander the Second to be content with indirect control over the Church in a land that the papacy hitherto had regarded as bound by the closest ties to Rome. One of the things that, that began to happen, and of course, uh, uh, we we have to, you know, go back to William the First to to agree to the, I mean, to uh, to kind of praise him for this, is they wanted the Pope out of England. They did not want the Pope to control the Empire, and of course, that would be God inspired, and you know, the the Pope uh, again, Holy Roman Empire, it has nothing to do with God. Britain is an Israelite country. America is an Israelite country. And, uh, you know, Germany is not an Israelite country. And Rome, you know, the Roman church is not, it's not a God's church. And so, so, uh, you know, he got in there, Henry got in there and, uh, he forced Pope Alexander out, you know, trying to control. And uh, of course, we do know that uh, the Catholic Church did eventually get control of Ireland, and that—that that was the whole uh, myth of Saint Patrick. And he was like this Catholic priest to get in there, and it's—it's it's the uh, the Pope wanted to control Ireland, still wants to, I'm sure. It says. Um, he said that he forced Pope Alexander II to be content with indirect control over the church in a land that the papacy hitherto had regarded as bound by the closest ties to Rome. William's son Henry I, who, who, whose accession in 1100 was challenged by his eldest brother Robert, Duke of Normandy, was compelled to make concessions to the nobles and clergy in the Charter of Liberties, a royal edict issued upon his coronation. His successor Stephen, this is in 1135, whose hold on the throne was threatened by Henry I's daughter, Matilda, again issued a solemn charter with even more generous promises of good government and church and state. Matilda's son, Henry II, also began his reign in 1154 by issuing a solemn charter, promising to restore and confirm the liberties and free customs that King Henry, his grandfather, had granted to God and Holy Church and his earls, barons, and all his men. There developed, in fact, through the 12th century, a continuous tradition that the king's coronation oath should be strengthened by written promises stamped with the king's seal. And so, so the king was, was obviously had a very prominent position, but he had to... Uh, you know, stand up and really, you know, be careful of the liberties that were granted to all, all the free men of England. And so he couldn't just take over and control, uh, control their lives. It's, it goes on to say here: it says, although the volume of common law increased during that period, in particular during Henry II's reign, which ended in 1189. No converse definition had been secured in regard to the financial liabilities of the baronage to the crown. The baronage had no definition of the rights of justice that they held over their own subjects. As the Angevin administration became more firmly established with learned judges, able financiers, and trained clerks in the service, the baronage as a whole became ever more conscious of the weakness of its position in the face of agents of the crown. So, so compounding discontent among the nobility were tax increases during Richard I's reign, which resulted from his crusade, his ransom, and his war with France. John was promising to restore and confirm the liberties and free customs that King Henry, his grandfather, had granted to God and Holy Church and all his earls, barons, and all his men. There are development facts through the 12th century, a continuous tradition that the king's coronation oath should be strengthened by written promises stamped with the king's seal. And so so the kings really had to abide by the law of Magna Carta. Confronted with those myriad challenges upon his rise to the throne in 1199, his position, already precarious, was made even weaker because of the rival claim of his nephew, Arthur of Brittany, and the determination of Philip II of France to end the English hold on Normandy. Now, we're going to be, as, as uh, I'm reading through this, this is going to come out in the play. We're going to see all of this come out in the play. Um, you know, Arthur of Brittany is, is uh, uh, one of the characters uh, in the play. Arthur is the Duke of Britannia, uh, Britannia, or Brittany, and he was nephew to King John. And so, so you can see there's still, there's family ties here. And so we're going to run into Arthur in the, in the play as well. Uh, a little bit more on this uh, from the Magna Carta uh, people in Australia. It says, unlike his predecessors, John did not issue a general charter to his barons at the beginning of his reign at Northampton, however, Archbishop of Canterbury, Hubert Walter, Royal Advisor William Marshall, and Justicular Geoffrey Fitz Peter, some of the nobility and promised on half of the promised on behalf of the king who was still in France that he would render to each his rights if they would keep faith and peace with him. As early as 1201, however, the earls were refusing to cross the English Channel in the king's service unless he first promised them their rights. In 1205, in the face of a threat of invasion from France, the king was compelled to swear that he would preserve the rights of the kingdom unharmed. After the loss of Normandy in 1204, John was forced to rely on English resources alone, and the crown began to feel a new urgency in the matter of revenue collection royal um royal demands for scutage money paid in lieu of military services became more frequent the quarrel with the pope innocent iii over the election of stephen langton to the see of canterbury resulted in a papal interdict and so so here that uh uh, the pope was still trying to keep his fingers in England, and uh, they, they put um, a man, Stephen Langley, over the Sea of Canterbury uh, without the church's approval, and of course that set the, the pope off his rocker. The pope m- made his papal interdict in 1208 to 1213 and left the English church defenseless in the face of John's financial demands. The excommunication of the king in 1209 deprived him of some of his ablest uh, administrators. It's not surprising then that when the peace with the church was made and Langston became Archbishop of Canterbury, he emerged as a central figure in the baronial unrest. Indeed, it was Langston who advised the man for a solemn grant of liberties from the king be founded on the coronation charter of Henry I. So the Great Charter of 1215 now, this is the Magna Carta, and I'm looking at a little photograph of the king. John signing the Magna Carta on June 15, 1215. said, A detailed account of the months preceding the sealing of the Magna Carta has been preserved by the historians of St. Albans Abbey, where an initial draft of the charter was read in 1213. Many, although not all, of the documents issued immediately before um, before the Charter have survived, either in the original or as official transcripts. From the records, it is clear that King John had already realized that he would have to grant free election to the ecclesiastical offices and meet the barons' general demands. It is equally clear that Langston, Langdon and the most influential Earl, William Marshall, Earl of Pembroke, had considerable difficulty in bringing the most extreme members of the baronage to a frame of mind in which they would negotiate. Those nobles wanted to fight, although it is not clear what use they would have made of a military victory in 1215. And so, so you can see that that uh, you know the world it was in turmoil at this time. I mean, the, the things going on in France, going on in England you know, it was just, uh, it was really in turmoil and you have, you have the king and then you have the barons they are fighting each other. And of course, who is really going to suffer the most? It's the people. And, and that's what, what I think that so many in power today don't see where they're really hurting the American people. They just don't see where they're hurting them. And, uh, you know i don't uh, you know it's not my place to to make fun of anyone in power but when you come out and say uh the economy is better than it's ever been you know i'm sorry i don't like paying what 4 dollars a gallon for gas you know and then one of the big things that was brought out on the the news last night is the that one of the first things that I think President Trump said he's going to remove once he's, um, you know, brought back to office is the fact that everyone has to buy an electric car. He says, that's over. He said, no, if they want an electric car, that's fine. But to make everybody buy one, that is not fine. (laughs) You know, and he said, oh, by the way, uh, we have more wealth under our feet than most nations in this world. And he said, that means gasoline for your car. You know, <laughs> I thought that was really pretty good. So, so it, it's almost like we could put a crown on, on President Trump. And I got to be careful how I say that because there's a lot of people want to put a noose around his neck. And uh, what's really sad, I heard, you know, the um, Trump the program is they've already green lighted to assassinate him. It's crazy. You know, and uh, it's not going to happen. So, on June 15, 1215, the document known as the Articles of the Barons was at last agreed upon and to the King's Great Seal was set. It became the text which the draft of the charter was hammered out in the discussions at Runnymede, besides the River Thames, between Windsor and Staines, and now in the county of Surrey. And the final version of the Magna Carta was accepted by the king and the barons on June 19th. The charter was a compromise, but it also contained important clauses designed to bring about reforms in judicial and local administration. Much explosive material was set out in the Magna Carta, which was sealed by King John in a meadow called Runnymede. I think it's Runnymede. Um, between Windsor and Staines on the 15th day of June in the 17th year of our reign. The remarkable fact is not that war broke out between John and his barons in the following months, but the king had ever been brought to agree to the sealing of such a document at all, that the king genuinely wished to avoid civil uh, war, that he was prepared to accede to reasonable demands for a statement of feudal law, and that he had a basic desire to give good government to his subjects are all strikingly shown by his submissions to clauses that in effect authorize his subjects to declare war on their king. So, so the Magna Carta is a really challenging document. It's not just, you know, a nice little pretty thing you can hang on your wall. Uh, it did give the people power to declare war on their king if he didn't do what he was supposed to do says, Clause 61 of the 1215 Charter called upon the barons to choose 25 representatives from their number to serve as a form of security to ensure the preservation of the rights and liberties that had been enumerated. John's dissatisfaction with that clause and its implementation uh, was recorded by the chronicler Matthew Paris, and historians since that time have questioned its genesis. Was clause sixty one proposed by Langton as a method of progressing toward a limited monarchy, or did it come from the barons as a way of expressing their feudal right of formal defiance in the face of a lord who had broken a contract? And so so I think one of the things that that we're gonna see in the play and one of the things that we have to think about is that, you know, King John obviously had his problems. But also did the the wealthy (laughs) have their problems, you know, and they said, if you don't do it our way, uh, we're going to fight you, you know, Uh, and and so that's just human nature. And one of the things we have to realize about William Shakespeare, I think he understood human nature better than anybody. And uh, he really does does uh, uh, attest to that, you know, in his writings. It says uh, uh, whatever its origin. That clause is of interest because it illustrates the way that the that the Western European elite were talking and thinking about kingship in 1215. Although Clause 61 was omitted from reissued versions of the charter after the deposing of King Henry III during the Barons' War, it served as a model for an even harsher attempt to control the king. And so, so uh, you know, we can we can see. that that the Magna Carta again it's not a perfect document and uh, you know even the US Constitution isn't a perfect document but one of the things uh, for everybody out there to understand that when you're dealing with Israelite nations and that's what you're dealing with the United States where Manasseh, Britain is Ephraim uh, even have France you know there is there is an emphasis on the rule of law and and that's what people fight about so much today you know they want to do their own thing but there has to be rules of law and uh you know i i think it's it's absolutely horrendous this is my own feeling is when i hear the the uh the people you know in, upper in the american government when they want to school little Judah about making sure they follow the laws of war, <laughs> and yet what they're doing is they're they're tying their hands behind their back. they can't do anything and who started the war i mean i finally finally uh there's a, f- a few commentators that i the other night that, that I thought was really interesting. They got up and said, look, when did this start? It started, you know, October 7th. And what happened? He said they butchered Jews. They butchered women. They butchered children. They cut the heads off people. Israel didn't start this. It was Hamas. And we've got all these these rallies and these protests around the world Defending Palestinians when when they they started it, and it was cruelty, cruel to beyond belief. And um, you know it, it's it's just uh, absolutely insane that that all these are going on, and, and they keep complaining about um, you know that the American president they they say he's criminal. And again, we're not going to get into that, but they, you know, they're saying they're calling him, you know, names because he's not stopping Israel. And the the, the point is, it's not his business to stop Israel. That's the point. And the, the point is, it's his job to stop Hamas. And, uh, you know, uh, I think everybody's beginning to realize that... Uh, you know Obama is still very much involved and they're actually funding Hamas through Iran and they're you know they're in the proxy war and I think people are beginning to understand that but again a lot of people really aren't that uh, let's say uh, well educated in enough politics to know what's really going on and that's why we have to have, you know, smart people helping those the rest of us that don't get the politics to help us to understand what's really, really going on. And so so again, um I th- I think what I'll, we'll do is uh l- let me let me just go down through the, the uh the, the cast of characters now to get everybody really excited about this. Uh again I have my, my book right here in front of me. And again it is it is called King John," but then this is on the front cover. it's called King John, but actually the the title that that Shakespeare gave it is "The Life and Death of King John and so so you have to understand that he is he is going to die, and uh, <laughs> he doesn't really have like the best life. All right, here's the names of the actors, and so obviously at the top of the page is, is King John. And then, of course, then his son is Prince Henry, and he's son to the king. And then there's Arthur, who is the Duke of Britannia, or Brittany, and he's nephew to the king. And so, so there you have the you know the um, the family relationship there. Then we're going to get into the earls. There's the Earl of Pembroke. There's the Earl of Essex. Then the earls of Salisbury. There's there's Lord Bigot. There's Hubert de Bru. There's Robert Falconbridge, and he's also son to Sir Robert Falconbridge. And as I was get reading and getting ready to to really get into to uh, to really understand the play, I I've learned that Falconbridge is probably one of the best made up characters in the play. In other words, Shakespeare is really really worked hard, and, and it says that he's almost like a Falstaff from the other plays. And so so this guy is going to be interesting. Uh, there's Philip the Bastard, which is Falconbridge's half-brother, and essentially it's Philip the Bastard that makes the most sense when he speaks in the play. <laughs> and so, so it's, it's really, to me, it's kind of interesting that way. Then um, there's James Gurney, servant to Lady Falconbridge, there's Peter of Pomfret, a prophet, so that, that'll give us an idea of what's, what's going to be coming up in the play. There's Philip, king of France. There's Louis, the dauphin, and so Louis would be the king's son. Uh, Limoges is the Duke of Austria, and so, so one of the things that we're going to find in the play is, is the Duke of Austria is also the Holy Roman Emperor. And so, so the Holy Rem, Roman Empire is going to come out in this play. Um, but anyway, he's, he's the Duke of Austria. Then you have Cardinal Pandulf, and he's the Pope's representative. Then there's Milan, he's a French lord. Then there's another one, Chatillon; he's ambassador from France. Then there's Queen Eleanor, and she is the mother to King John. And then there's Constance, and she's the mother to Arthur. And so, so essentially what we can look forward to is Queen Eleanor and Constance are going to go after each other because their two sons can't get along and they're related. There's Blanche of Spain and, uh, she's niece to King John. And so, so think about all these countries that are going to get involved in this. Then there's Lady Falconbridge, and, and, uh, uh, so then, there's lords, there's ladies, there's citizens of Angiers. There's a sheriff. There's heralds. There's officers. There's soldiers. There's executioners, messengers, and other attendants. And so, so these are the names of the actors. And again, I, I really think it's going to be just fascinating uh, play. And it's it's going to be a little unusual, but uh, you know, so is King Lear. <laughs> King Lear was unusual. And, uh, uh, but the, the, the major scenes are either going to be in England and in France. So, basically, that's all the time we have for today's program. So, please write me any comments you may have to comments at kpcg.fm. Of course, you can also comment at my Twitter page. And, uh, of course, that Twitter page is Shakespeare's Royal Education. Now, you can uh, find a really good used copy of King John at abebooks.com. And uh, uh, again, I I scoped them out today. Uh, Some of the copies are going to be well under $5, so don't go out and spend a lot of money on the book. You're going to want to write in it and copy in it. So uh, you can find a good used copy of it. So thanks for joining me next time as we advance our royal
0: education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.